Welcome to the 78th edition of the Guna Podcast, recorded immediately after number 77 on the Wednesday evening before Arsenal begin their Premier League season at St James's Park. Our previous competitive match was the two-all draw at Fulham back in May. How time flies. Thanks as ever to our sponsors, Gunashirts.com, the website for all your quality cult Arsenal t-shirt needs. I'm your host, David Udo, and still with us are our panel of Mark Ollington, Joe Broadfoot, and Kevin Witcher. Now, guys, although it's Newcastle away on Saturday, essentially the following Wednesday and then the Tuesday immediately after that, it's going to be really big because not only are we looking to qualify for the Champions League, maybe best part of six months beforehand, um, we've got a very, very tricky tie with Udinese. Um, Mark, how hard would it be to qualify for the 2012, uh, sorry, for the 2011-2012 Champions League? It shouldn't be difficult, should it? The Italian league is not what it what it was. I think like us, Udinese come forth in their respective leagues. They have sort of a couple of quality players, which also could be us by the time we get get to the <laughs> game. But having said that, the Spanish, the, sorry, the Italian league isn't what it was, and you would expect over two legs to kind of go through. But having said that, it's not an easy draw. It's not difficult as some are making out, but we have got players suspended. I think Van Persie can't play in the game. So, you know, it is good. And then we have got injuries once again at the start of the season. So who knows what the starting level will actually be. So we will see the squad players like Chimac probably play. Um, yeah, and it perhaps even the Scalacci's of the world. It's not going to be... If I was a betting man, which I'm not because I'm a tight ass, but I would put money on us to actually go through. But it's not a, it's not a given, is it? 70 percenter, I'd say. Fair enough. Um, Joe, your thoughts. Are we, are we easily going to beat what was apparently the fourth best team in Italy who have since sold three of their best players? It's never going to be easy against Italian opposition because they're going to, they're going to park the bus at, uh, at the Emirates and so it's going to be difficult to score. If Spurs can beat an Italian team, I think we can. Yeah, but an understrength Arsenal, when, when the squad is weaker, in my opinion, weaker than last season in terms of personnel, not necessarily in terms of age because all our youngsters are now one year older therefore more experienced so we should be a better side in theory but it's the beginning of the season and for once the fans are not optimistic I mean it's not just around this table all the fans that I've bumped into none of them are really looking forward to this season unfortunately I wish I could say differently but that's that's the situation at the club so if anything goes wrong say Udinese score the first goal let's hope it doesn't happen if they score the first goal and then actually nick another goal, what's going to happen? What are the, what are the crowd going to be saying to the, to the players, the young players? If they were experienced, they can probably handle it. But we haven't got that much experience. And we're going to be under strength on the first game. So as long as we score the first goal, I think we'll be fine. But if we don't, I think it could be, could be a problem. And I really hope that doesn't, doesn't happen, obviously. Kev, um, bearing in mind we're at home for the first leg, uh, Udinese have got literally just one star player being uh, Alessandro Di, Na- Di-, Di Natale, their centre forward. Um, bearing in mind we're going to be without Van Persie, we're going to be without Nasri, and there's going to be no manager on the bench. Um, who are we going to play in our four uh, attacking positions? That's kind of like one up front in his own, and then three behind being two on the, on the, on the uh, width. Well, you'd imagine that uh, on the assumption that Bentner is on his way out, uh, Schumacher is the only conceivable uh, centre forward. Um, wide, you'd have to imagine Walcott's not going to be fit, so you're, and he's not going to play uh, Fabregas. 
Um, because Resisting it. It could be resisting. Yeah. You can't rule it out. There's a possibility he might play Ramsey there instead. Um, so Ramsey or Riziki in the hole. Uh, left side probably Arshavin mm-hmm. and right side Jovino. Um, so whether or not uh, that particular uh, combination can create uh, the goals we need uh, remains to be seen. The one thing about the tie is that I do believe the players will be as motivated as it's possible for them to be because you know they don't want to be in the Europa League. Um, so you know, fat salaries or not, I'm hoping to see a bit of effort and a bit of commitment and a bit of drive and determination, especially in the first leg, to hopefully secure the tie um, so that there are, there's no potential for a slip-up back in Italy. What I wouldn't like is if things were a bit tight going over to Italy because, you know, once you go away from home, you can get all kinds of things going against you. And the referee, for example, uh, if we get a homer over there, then we could be in trouble with dodgy penalties or that kind of thing. So it's very important that we do tie up the first leg. Uh, for your benefit, David, if you do turn up on Wednesday, you won't be seeing any football because the first leg's on a Tuesday night. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, let's just hope that uh, whether or not you're there, uh, the team turn up. Oh, that's fair enough. Uh, I mean, I suppose the only other question is whether Nasser is going to play in the second leg, if indeed is still at the club. And... Whether Fabregas is available for both legs, um, he's our club captain, he can play if we want to, um, but ultimately he does want to leave. Uh, Mark, do you think, well, A, Fabregas is going to play, and B, whether Nasri is going to play in the second leg? No, I think both players um, will certainly not be played. I think Nasri will be gone by the end of this week. It could be wrong by the time this podcast goes out, but I firmly believe he'll be in Man City by the weekend. And I don't think he'll risk Fabregas for serious in, um, injury, so... No, I can't see it happening. I could be totally wrong. I'm wrong about many things in life, Saturday days. As my wife will tell you all, she had the chance for this podcast. Lucky she's not here tonight, and I'll be here with you lovely lads instead. But to answer the question, no, I don't think so. Okay, um, in a word, yourself, Mr. Mm. Mr. Joe. Mm. Uh, a word about about the result of, of that. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in, in both, it, whether you think there's any chance of Nazri or Fabregas playing? Nazri, no. Nazri, no, and Fabregas, no. I don't see either either of those two players appearing. In which case, Kevin, there's only one question I'm going to put mm-hmm. you, which is, have we got any chance of getting past Udinese and qualifying for the Champions League this season? On the basis that they also uh, are a weaker team than at the end of last season, we do have um, every chance. I mean, the one thing which does actually suit Arsenal is playing uh, European football against lesser teams um, you know that's the one thing we normally manage to do just about well enough it's only when we come up against really big teams that we're exposed so if we were exposed by Udinese then things are going to turn very ugly and I don't think that's going to happen OK fair enough um, the the other question I've got is sort of looking at the, the latter horse rather than this one which is how hard will it be to qualify for the 2012-2013 Champions League? So let's sod this year because 
you know, at this stage, who knows what's going to happen next week and the week after. Let's hope that we're going to be absolutely fine and Arsene knows, knows will be the comment everyone comes out with. Let's hope we get through that. Bearing in mind Chelsea have a new manager um, that Manchester United won the league and then immediately went out and bought three new players purely for their starting eleven, um, And Manchester City having bought three players. Uh, Mark... Yes. How hard do you think it will be for us to finish in the top, well, ideally the top three by the end of the season, failing that the top four? Top three is not going to happen. Top three, pretty much guaranteed, Man City, United, Chelsea. It's going to be a free horse race, I think, for fourth place, Arsenal, Liverpool, Adam, Tottenham. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to be really, really, really tough. Um, I don't kind of buy this fact that Liverpool are going to be a really great team all of a sudden because there's King Kenny's back and everything else. I think you've got to take a huge pinch of salt. And as it stands at the moment, Spurs are hardly being active in the transfer market, less than us. But you know that old bloody, that crook will be there to the last minute trying to try do, do some deals. And it wouldn't surprise me if they'd be able to play that Samba. That wouldn't surprise me at all. So it is going to be really difficult, actually, to come um, fourth place. And it's not going to be bang, bang, bang on this season at all. Mm. And a lot will depend upon how the start of the season goes. Um, traditionally, we have good starts. It's only when October, November comes about, we have a little kind of mid-season blip. And the f- sad thing is, we have got a tough August, and we're talking. And the reason why I think a lot of fans have got fed up with that we haven't made our signings yet is if it does happen on August the thirty-first, that's potentially three really difficult league matches, and that's n- a total of nine nine points. And if we come away with two points from the first three three games, we're going to be playing catch up for the rest of the season. Leagues aren't won in August, of course, and that's true. But one ninth of the league is won in August. And, you know, that's a vital part of it. And I just think we might be leaving it a bit too late. And it's not going to be as easy as, you know, as it has been in previous seasons. It's a shaking head from you, Joe. Are I'm you... agreeing. I must be... I must be <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure why I'm shaking my head. But I've never agreed so much with Mark. What's ever. happening today, Joe? Because even I don't know, I've, I've like gone into this alternate universe. But anyway, the head shake. Man, <laughs> I can't believe how much sense Mark is talking. Jesus Christ. It was, it was that much sense. Because August is such a crucial, crucial month for Arsene Wenger and Arsenal Football Club because we really need those those points on the board more than ever because as as Mark rightly said those games coming up are so tough and yet I thought based on the fixture list we got I thought Arsene Wenger's definitely going to buy some players now some some players that are going to make a difference Jovino I think is going to be a very good signing but we didn't really need him and the others well they're not re- they're squad players let's be honest for this season at least so, 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 where is the squad strengthening? I, I want to see. I want to see it. I've not seen it as of yet. And yet, we've got these this tough fixture list. It couldn't be much tougher, could it? No. Newcastle and Liverpool, Manchester United. That Liverpool game up. would be key. You know, okay, I don't know. Yeah, made a comment yet. But don't you think Arsenal, Liverpool, will be even at really early doors and the teams haven't settled in yet and stuff? That's a massive game, isn't it? At the start of the season. Yes, I mean it is uh, because it's the first home game. And you want the crowd to get behind the team, and things the relationship isn't great at the moment between the crowd and the team. So if if that game didn't go well, especially given what happened the last time Liverpool came, uh, we could be in for a season of pantomime booing, frankly, which isn't going to help anybody. Um, I think uh, myself, I think you're underestimating Liverpool. I think since Dalglish did arrive, their form probably would have won them the Premier League if, if it had been over the course of the entire season. 
I think one thing Doug Leach can do is motivate and he can organise and he's bought players significantly he's bought British players who are going to gel quickly you know he's not buying the Benitez type buys from abroad <clears throat> they're players who are established in the Premier League you know we might not rate Stuart Downing but you know he's, he's the kind of player I would say is akin to Ray Houghton who was bloody brilliant in 87-88, even though he's not a flair player. But because he was in the blend, he looked bloody good. Um, so, as a unit, I think Liverpool will be strong. I do believe that they will be better than Arsenal in the league, um, and that we are fighting for... Effectively, I think we will finish fifth. I don't think Tottenham will compete, frankly. The other thing remember about Liverpool is there's no European football of any description. That's true. Right. Which is an advantage. That's an advantage. Think about that. Not even in the Europa League, are they? Exactly. So, um, I think it is going to be a huge battle. If, if Arsene Wenger does buy two quality centre-backs, we're back in the mix. We could even challenge for the top three. But... If he doesn't buy two centre backs, um, frankly, we we are looking at fifth place. Kevin, okay, in fairness, the, the, if, the, the if that you, you bring up with regards to Arsenal is sort of buying two extra players, which I personally completely agree with. Um, you compare that with Liverpool, where Kenny Dalglish reports directly into John Henry, the person who controls all their money, and he says, "I want this player. Go and fetch him." Um, one of the thoughts would be interesting to get from you, I'll, I'll go to you if, if that's okay Mark, with regard to Ivan Gazidis, who's had two performances to give in front of Arsenal players, um, so, uh, sorry, supporters this summer. Um, one of them being at the start, essentially Arsenal knows, don't worry, we've got it done. Now he's done the most recent being a couple of days ago and we aren't looking like signing a centre-half. Um, how do you feel about Ivan Gazidis and, I suppose, from a certain point of view, Arsene Wenger? Well, I know Kev was there, so perhaps you can chip in, Kev, you actually had the meeting itself. But from someone that's not involved in the supporters groups like um, you are, um, you just kind of read the kind of tweets and the kind of reports afterwards, the guy seems perfectly adept at... Uh, he'd be a great spin doctor he'd be great for the Tories at the moment um, especially with all the riots that have taken place a bit of politics for you there but when it comes to actual hard work and effort and all graph actually signing players well I think the guy's been sorely lacking he's a great master of spin he's perfectly adept at the kind of uh, marketing and commercial aspects of the role with regards to how he presents himself to the media and to the fans but sadly lacking any substance from what I can make out I mean Kevin you're all there at these meetings I mean is that the kind of thing that you kind of get from him I mean are you impressed by him uh, I think actions speak louder than words. I mean, the thing is, at the meetings, you do get lots of words. Um, I mean, Gazidis is making out that transfers are very complicated and complex. His other argument is that Manchester United do not always get their transfer business concluded so early in the season. I mean, without actually researching it, I'd argue that's probably not actually true. I think they are very good at uh, securing deals they want to do. Um, so, ultimately... What we don't know is the dynamic behind the scenes about who's doing what in the negotiations. You know, if you read someone like Miles Palmer, you might believe that Wenger is in total control and the board are frustrated as hell with him. I mean, one of the things I've heard is that um, uh, Wenger was asked for a list of targets in, um, in May 
uh, by the board, and he he didn't give them one. So they had <laughs> nothing to work with. Could be complete bullshit. I don't, <laughs> I don't know, but it's that sort of story which makes you think. Well, look, what is going on? You know, who is actually, you know, pressing the button on the transfers and making the final decisions? Now, my suspicion is that ultimately it is Arsene Wenger who's deciding that he doesn't want to pay 20 million for Phil Jagielka and he's not prepared to offer 18 million. He's going to offer 14 million and that's as far as I'm going. Well, I would prefer a system whereby he names what he needs and then he leaves someone to get on with it because I think there's too much penny-pinching and I suspect it is to do with the manager's obsession with value. And as I've said in a previous podcast, when you're a big club, you've got to pay more than someone is worth to secure the player and swallow it. And you're making so much money. I mean, you know, they're, they're piddling about over two or three million pounds. If they don't make the Champions League, they're going to lose 25 million pounds. Better to secure your chances of progress into that competition and that secured money than, than worry about <coughs> two or three million. You know, the penny pinching is just too extreme at Arsenal. And, you know, we are more obsessed with the balance sheet than the trophy cabinet. And as a consequence, we've had summer after summer of dashed hopes. I mean, God, if we'd signed Xavi Alonso in 2008, you know, Liverpool that season subsequently lost two games with Alonso in midfield. Now, imagine what we could have done in that 2008-2009 season with him instead of bloody Dinelson playing there. God, it just sometimes... Basically, Gazidis... He can he, he plays a straight bat. He can deflect criticism with words, but his actions, sadly, have exposed that if Benga's running the show, he's not being uh, directed properly. You know, technically he's an employee because he just is his boss. Um, so ultimately, Gazidis is to blame for letting that situation occur. And if it's not the case, if Gazidis is genuinely in charge, he's not producing the goods. I think Kevin's explode day he'd be so angry look at that well, <laughs> I was just going to turn to Joe actually and say can you see any chance of the manager's job being under threat if the team do not start well based mm. on uh, his behaviour um, well suggested mm. by Ivan and essentially accused by Kevin I think I think Arsene Wenger's Arsene Wenger's job certainly is under threat and, and he's essentially doing two jobs because he's also dealing on the transfer front back in the day it was David Dean seemed to be doing, doing concluding the transfers quite successfully it seemed and um, I don't know if I'm a supporter or, or one of his detractors so I think I'm probably one of his supporters actually of David Dean because it seemed to me you know on the surface he was doing a good job because there he was picking up players bringing, bringing big names to the club and, and getting these deals done early this is the the timing is is so so important, and now now we're in August and we've got games gonna they're going to be coming thick and fast. And and how does the team gel? You even if we do manage to make those purchases on the thirty first of August, the season might be already semi down the pan at that point. So if we manage to bring in all the players and we just get like half a million off of this guy and you know two hundred and fifty thousand off of this guy and we bring in all the players that Arsene Wenger wants or doesn't want and where would that leave us? It's going to be a shambles. It's no way to conduct business. I, I just can't understand what's going on right now. I really thought Arsene Wenger. 
uh, I'm by no means am I one of those people that want Arsene Wenger to leave, but I just want him to get the correct support, or perhaps he needs somebody strong who will go out there and say, you know, Arsene, you really need this guy. Just just put him in your squad somewhere because he's going to be useful to you. You need a centre back. I know you don't realise it, Arsene, but you need a centre back. You need somebody above five foot eleven who can actually head a ball. You know, you need somebody. You, you might even need an English guy in there. You know that? You might actually need somebody. And you need, you need someone that's, that's going to play that role. And David Dean <coughs> seemingly played that role. And now we don't have that. So all, all it seems to be, for me, look, from the outside looking in, seems like a bunch of yes men. And, and Arsene Wenger runs, runs the ship. And Arsene Wenger's a good manager. But unfortunately, he's not, he's not a guy who can do two jobs. He can't be a manager and he can't also be the guy that brings in all the players. It's just too much to ask of one person. So I have a little bit of sympathy for him in the one sense, but, but he's, he's, created, he's created that and he, ha he will refuse to accept change. That's part of the problem. Um, well, football's also caught up with him, perhaps. I mean, I've read quite a few articles this season that you know, when he first came to Arsenal, the reason why we had the success that we did was he brought a lot of new methods into the country, such as diet and training and everything else, mm. and sports science. But now everyone does, 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 does that. So his USP is now gone. And essentially what he's doing now is he hasn't got that British base that he had when he first came to the club. And so essentially it's just the team that Wenger built has become obsessed with this kind of creating this ultimate, masterful, great football playing team of midgets. Um, and the rest of football caught with him in many other air, um, you know, ways. And so really he's kind of like floundering. Do you know who the um, domestic English manager is who has the biggest backroom team to basically impress all of the uh, um, Arsene Wenger impressions on his current team? Tell me that, David Udo. Sam Allardyce. I was going to say that, funnily enough. Yeah. If you'd have asked me, I would have guessed Sam Allardyce. So there because, we go. Because he's very much into sports science. I mean, I know Arsene Wenger is as well, to a point. But every time I watch an Arsenal warm-up, I have to have a little laugh to myself. Because the other day, I, I took the time to go to Stevenage to watch the reserves playing. And um, it was quite down. amusing. No, I was there. And <laughs> it was quite amusing watching the warm-ups. And if I hadn't known who was the who was the bigger team, I would have said Stevenage, based on the way they warmed up and the, the sort of professionalism of, about how they went about what they did. Stevenage had a better warm up, you know, from a coach's point of view, they had a better warm up. Simple as that. Now, what does that say? I I leave it open to. The well, talk. it says that the uh, training and preparation of the Arsenal players um, is frankly lacking in something substantial and what you saw at Stevenage was symptomatic of a, a general problem in that what happens in training sessions is a lot of tip-tap but very little in the way of tactics or organisation uh, or planning and also physical practice I mean in terms of defending set pieces you know do we have drills you know, is defence actually practised and coached? It doesn't appear so. You know, there there is a, an idea uh, which is basically the Wenger leaves the players to work it out for themselves. Well, that's okay if they're 28 and 29 and they've been coached properly when they were younger. Mm -hmm. Well, you're bringing in Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. The guy doesn't know now. He needs guidance. Where's he going to get it from? He ain't going to get it from Arsene Wenger. You know, he's going to be left to work it out himself. 
I think it was uh, Armand Traore who was at uh, one of these charity dinners where the players join the table for coffee and dessert and he was saying to someone uh, who I think repeated it on one of the other podcasts there are other podcasts available um, and basically said no and no one tells me when you've done something wrong no one tells you you know no one at Arsenal actually comes and says this is what you do you don't do this you don't get the coaching you don't get the guidance um, so this, there's this sort of Zen like Buddhist philosophy to coaching this approach uh, by Wenger which ends up with some of the performances we witnessed last season where the players as a team are obviously lacking in leadership they need guidance they look like a rudderless ship and it all falls to pieces and there's no sign that that is going to change in the near future um, the only thing I'll sort of go forward to is, is purely because it's written in front of me is um, mm-hmm. we're heading to for, towards the opening day of the season that kind of thing woo-ha maybe it could be maybe it could be losing to Coventry at home maybe it could be um, getting hammered away to Manchester United who knows um, I mean Mark um what are your memories of any previous opening days we've got as, uh, as Arsenal fans? I have two, you know. The one, the first only ever Arsenal goal that I've ever actually missed, and that was, I think it was 1 0 at home to QPR on, was it the 90, season after we won the championship, the 91 92 season? And QPR went 1 0 up. And I was so upset and disgusted. I felt quite ill. I had a stomachache for the last few days. I thought, you know what, I'm going to leave early. And the minute I got out of the stadium, the North Bank cheered and Magic Man, Paul Merson equalised. And I vowed never to leave a game early ever again. And you know what, I probably have once or twice, but as a rule, I don't. And I stay to, to, to the very end. So right. that opening day of the season is very firm in my mind. The 14-year-old Mark made a big error that day. He left before the end, he left before the end of the match. I don't often do that now. Make sure you have a curry on Friday night for the Newcastle <laughs> game. Uh, any, anything for yourself, Joe? Well, because you mentioned commentary, that's really sort of hit me very hard. When, when, as soon as you mentioned commentary, of course I think of Mickey Quinn and I think, how many goals did he score? Got a hat-trick, hat-trick at Highbury. Was it, hat-trick? Hat-trick? Was it, hat-trick? Was it the North Bank, wasn't it, as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's all I can think about. I mean, opening days and always seem to be disappointing. I'm, I mean, I'm always... So we're looking forward to the end of the season at that point. Well, we just, I love opening day, though. Sorry, yeah. Kevin, back in again. But uh, when the sun's shining, first day, always think of Highbury. Even that time we're beating 4-2 by Norwich. And we went 2-0 up in the first half. But I just love the opening day. It's normally sunny. You have the optimism for the, um, for the um, season. You normally just feel brilliant. Uh, yeah, I normally love it. But for some reason, I think perhaps because we are away from home for the first match, I haven't quite got that buzz yet. Well, I think, I think that's to do with getting older and also a general malaise uh, in expectations. Many memories. Um, I remember Wimbledon away in 1988. They'd just won the FA Cup. We went there with a new-look defence with a young chap called Steve Bold in uh, accompanying Tony Adams. He had hair. Indeed. We won 5-1. Uh, I remember Leeds in 98 away. Uh, it was one-all draw. Um, Petit, Ian Wright right goal, Petit played in central midfield after having played pre-season as a central defender. Uh, some Arsenal fans were unhappy that uh, we allowed them to equalise and it was slate in the team as we left. But we went on to uh, it was '97, sorry, '97. That was we went on to win the league that season. Even 2009, Everton away, six-one. 
And was that almost, the Nilsson goal as well? Almost. Yeah, the Nilsson screamer. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that might have been the shaky head dance celebration. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember, but that performance to me indicated a team that would go on and win the title. And we, we, I think we made a fist of it, but uh, in the end, the, new, the usual story. Um, but my God, they were good that day. Um, and I mean, uh, just going back, I mean, there's lots and lots and lots. But uh, what was the one I was thinking of now? Uh, uh, the memory's gone. But in '86, I remember enjoying. We beat Man United one 0 with a very, very, very late Charlie Nicholas goal. Um, <laughs> I mean, if the sun's shining and uh, it's all fresh, the pitches are wonderful. It's 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 normally a time of optimism. You know, there's always yeah. hope at the start of the season. You're all level. You've got every chance, and yet this season, that isn't the feeling. And you've got to ask yourself why. You know, that isn't right. It's not just age, Kevin. Don't tell me that, please. I thought it was just a kind of malaise. <laughs> You're probably the, um... right. It is a malaise. It's not. <laughs> Even the youngsters are probably feeling Because when the sun's out and you walk up Highbury Way... And I'll tell you what, the there's an match. argument for summer football. After after being at the Emirates Cup and seeing all... I mean, half the crowd were female and it was Ooh. so hot that it was a joy to be there. Did you get a semi, Kevin? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, refuse, I refuse to answer that question. Sorry, David, for bringing no, that up. No, that's, that's into, absolutely into fine. Hey, I tell you Steve what. Steve Atkins is here because someone's got to do it. It's, <laughs> it's the only nature of having an absolutely brilliant, brilliant um, cast, I suppose, <laughs> is the best way of putting it. You're, uh, you're, you're very, very kind, Dave. <laughs> that's my story that I'm sticking to it. I mean, there's so many, so many questions I wanted to ask about anything, like. Uh, any impressions of the season's Emirates Cup? The fact that we got booed off after drawing one each with New York Red Bulls. Uh, the fact that there'll be a new policy this season of not announcing the attendance as, as matches. Is that true? I think that's because of me, actually. That, yeah. that's, that's... Alvin Gazidis has confirmed that is the case. Really? Can you give any reason why, Kev? Um, because basically he accepts that it's not a reflection of the genuine attendance. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I mean, he's admitted that, but Friday. I mean, the reason, the technical reason is it is based upon ticket sales, which is the industry standard and what all clubs do. But he's accepted it's become such a joke, uh, not his words, mine, but <laughs> that they didn't announce the attendance of the Emirates Cup, and that will be policy this season. So uh, you will not get that announcement after 78 minutes um, anymore. Well, um, to unfortunately wrap up in traditional style after 30 minutes, uh, the email address for any communications about the podcast is gunapodcast at gmail.com. And thanks once again to our sponsors, gunashirts.com. Before we depart, just a quick opportunity for our Guna et- editor to plug the first issue of the season. Away you go, please, Mr. Witcher. Indeed, issue number 216 went on sale at the very Emirates Cup I've just discussed. And it continues to be available uh, for the home games against Udinese and Liverpool. Uh, it's a bit of a redesign on the fanzine, um, done by a uh, very, uh, very good design uh, guru who often works with us and does our front and back covers, thanks to Darren Rackham. Also, I'm going to take this opportunity to express my apologies to Steve Harris who edited the letters, now renamed Inbox, and because of the design changes 
we didn't leave a space to credit him, so uh, okay, uh, he will. I love the new issue as well. I thought it was really good. Well, and nice uh, there are holes you haven't even seen. Go right off that now, the new issue. Don't buy it out there. It's not I right have now. made <laughs> a deliberate attempt to include some optimistic stroke pro Arsene Wenger articles true, in the name of balance. Um, and if anyone wants to write uh, anything for the Guna which is looking up, looking positive, more than welcome. We love that stuff, all right? Just because I don't happen to agree with it doesn't mean I'm not going to print it. So uh, I'm encouraging anyone who doesn't like the tone of uh, the editor to give me some contrast. But basically, it's still £2. It's full colour throughout now, and it's on sale the next two home matches. Do you think you're fair to say, Kev, you're now about as popular as that, as that Piers Morgan doing his like, tenure at the Daily Mirror towards the end? Uh, <laughs> I have people who support me. You I know. know. I am joking, um, <laughs> listeners, because I was looking at the survey results, which are also in the issue, Kev, aren't they? Indeed. And they're very fascinating. And I must say, your editorial does come very high in the top articles, so I am, of course, but I'm jesting. Thank they, you. They all love you, really. Thank you. You should idiots that listen online. I can't say that because they probably don't like this podcast. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, thank you again, Kevin, and thank you, <laughs> Mr. Ollington. We'll be back very soon, if all goes to plan, as the intention is to record some more podcasts podcast early next week with another specially convened panel of journalists who can hopefully give us something of an inside track on events. However, for now, with my thanks to the panel, it's time to say farewell. This is your host, David Udo, and thank you for listening. La-di-da-di-da, la-di-da-di-dee, all good friends and jolly good company, well hey!